Because you have to be there to see the people doing the work. You have to be there to see who is touching the products, who's being affected by it, the relationship between the, the staff and the patients and the caregivers. And there's no best way, there's always a better way, but the trick is to really be there, to see it, to watch, to ask, to solve the problem. Hello, hello, Design Lab is back with a new episode. I'm your host, Bon Koo. On this show, we explore the question, how might we design healthier lives? I'm so excited about today's guest. It is Deborah Adler. She is best known for a pill bottle that is actually in the permanent collection at the Museum of Modern Art. She is a designer, inventor, and entrepreneur who has a focus on health and beauty. Her studio, Adler Design, is guided by the belief that meaningful innovation requires a deep understanding of the people at the heart of their work and the changing world that surrounds them. She is the inventor and lead designer behind Target's Clear RX and CVS's Health Script Path, both award-winning systems designed to help millions of people take and manage their medications. She has worked closely with the legendary designer Milton Glaser for five years and has served on the AIGA National Board of Directors. I'm fascinated by her work in healthcare. My co-author Ellen Lupton and I wrote a few case studies about Deborah's work in our book, Health Design Thinking. Check it out. I want to give a shout out to Paige Elaine Nutzalilo. I'm sorry if I butchered your last name. She gave us a great shout out on LinkedIn about our podcast. I really appreciate that so much. I want to remind you that we do not have any sponsors, but you can still support us. And this is how you do so. You go on social media or you can go on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, leave us a comment and follow us on whatever platform you use to consume podcasts. Now, here's my conversation with Deborah Adler. Hope you enjoy it. Deborah Adler, welcome to Design Lab. So thrilled that you can make it on the show. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me, Vaughn. I'm a huge fan of your work. And before we get into talking about some of the, these projects, I want to talk about Milton Glaser. You work with him for five years. He's a, one of the probably the most celebrated graphic designers of our time. And sadly, he died last year. He did the I love New York logo. And I want to ask you, what was that like working with him? And can you talk a little bit about who he is for those in our audience who don't know who he is? Yeah. Well, Milton is one of the best known designers of our century. He has been an amazing force in the design community and he is sorely missed by so many people. He's a giant in the industry. I first met him actually in night school, I decided to take one of his design classes and I was just amazed at the way he taught us and how his mind worked. And it really inspired me to continue on in the field. A few years after that, I remember I was at an AIGA conference and I was volunteering with some other friends when, while I was getting my master's at the School of Visual Arts. And I saw him eating at a table at a diner inside the hotel. And so I went up to him, he was sitting alone and I asked him if I could join him. I was so nervous. I already taken his class, but I didn't really know if he remembered me. And that's like literally walking up to a rock star. <laughs> yes. Like, hey. yes. My like upper lip was quivering. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. 
So I went up to him and, and I remember his big hands sort of shook my hands and he said, come sit, come join me. And I decided to order a cappuccino. This was around three or four in the afternoon. And he said to me, dear, nobody orders a cappuccino past noon. And I sort of got so embarrassed and felt awful, but it was the, one of the first of many lessons that Milton's ever taught me. Working with him was really the backbone of my career. I it was like going back to school. My favorite days working with him were Mondays and Fridays. Mondays were the best because he would come in from the country. He has a country home up in Woodstock and he would come in with portfolios filled with artwork and drawings and concepts and ideas for us to work on for the week. And uh, he would come in and we would fight over what projects we could work on. There was only two or three designers at the time. So we always loved it. And then Fridays he would leave, he wouldn't work. So it would really give us a chance to try and work and flex our own muscles and figure out how we could solve some of the problems on our own and then get excited to show them on Monday what we come up with. That's amazing. How did that work out? You had a cappuccino and you're like, hey, can I work with you? Can I get a job with you? (laughs) So no. So my first job was actually at Kiehl's, Kiehl's Skincare. But I remember, so after that, I finished my master's thesis, which I'd love to tell you about. And it was a pill packaging system that made it easier for people to understand how to take their medicine. And I brought my project to his office to show him. And I took him through the whole presentation and he was really intrigued by it. And he remember he was teaching me how, you know, everything is connected, healthcare, design, arts, it's all everything. Once you start digging deeper is connected. And um, I showed him. And then I also said, and by the way, are you hiring? I'm really looking for a job. And he said, no, not at the moment. We're full, but you know, I love your project. And so then I went on and worked for Kiehl's and sort of put my project in the closet for a little while. And six months later, I got a call from Steve Heller. And then he said, you know, Milton's looking to hire someone. And I think he remembered meeting with you. So I went over to meet with him and he hired me. I wow. took a pay cut. I didn't care. It was like going back to school. I couldn't wait. And um, it was really pivotal in so many ways. One of the first few weeks we were in a cab together, driving down to go to a client meeting. And he said to me, you know, I really want to see your project happen in my lifetime. And just him saying that gave me so much confidence. And suddenly it became real, like it was going to happen. He also was instrumental in making it happen because he set me up and introduced me to the right people at Target. Amazing. Wow. All right. Let's get into your master's student thesis project at SBA. And to give listeners a tease, you created a pill bottle that's actually housed in the permanent collection at the Museum of Modern Art. Is that right? Yes. Yes. It's in the permanent collection and it's been at the Cooper Hewitt, the design triennial, and it had his own exhibition called From Master's Thesis to Medicine Cabinet at the School of Visual Arts to celebrate a student project. How does a pill bottle end up being in a museum? Tell us about that. (laughs) Well, we'd have to ask Paola Antonelli, but I think that it was just a combination of a very strong concept, a groundbreaking idea that hasn't really been thought of yet, coupled with excellent design and product design. Klaus Rosberg was the industrial designer behind the final shape of it. And the concept just sort of shined through the the bottle and labeling system. 
And tell us the origin story about this. It started off with a mistake that you saw your yeah, grandmother so, took a wrong pill. Is that right? Yes. So going back to the School of Visual Arts, it's a two-year program. It's called Designer as Entrepreneur. And you have to come up with an idea that you can effectively bring to market. So at the time I was coming up with an idea, actually, my first idea was going to be curly hair. I wanted to build a Mecca. You can see my curls. I wanted to build a Mecca for curls and different ethnicities and cultures have different curl types. And at the time there was really nothing out there that addressed that. So that was going to be my thesis, but then September 11th happened and suddenly my curly idea seemed frivolous. And <laughs> around the time of that, that time period, my grandmother had mistaken my grandfather's medication for her own. They were both had the same pills, but just different dosage strengths. And if you looked at their pill bottles, it was exactly the same. Their names are Helen Adler and Herman Adler. So it's the same two um, letters of their first yeah. names and same initials. So you can easily make a mistake and grab the wrong one. Luckily, my grandparents were okay, but as a designer, I, it made me aware that there was an urgent problem that was begging to be solved. And so I decided to do that for my master's thesis for the project for school. So I started to dig a little deeper and I realized that my grandparents were not alone in their befuddlement mm -hmm. and nearly 50% of us don't take medications correctly. So even physicians like, like myself, even, I remember right. making a kind of like a big mistake. I took Tylenol PM thinking it was just regular oh, no. Tylenol. So Tylenol PM is acetaminophen plus diphenhydramine, otherwise Benadryl. Benadryl is a sedative. It makes you super sleepy. So I had some back pain. So I popped like, I think I popped like two or three of these and I was driving to work and I was like, oh, so tired. I was like, why am I so tired? This is ridiculous. I had a couple of cups of coffee and, and I got, and I was like, so sluggish throughout the whole day, you know, and, so yeah. day, and I got home. I was like, that was Tylenol PM, but it looked exactly like regular Tylenol. Right. So and medication goodness, is a huge thing in healthcare. Yeah. Thank goodness. That's all that happened is you yeah. got sleepy, you know, because accidents happen all the time like that. And so I wanted to design a system that made it easier for my grandmother and everyone else to take their medications more easily. So I designed a new packaging and labeling program and it involved a redesigned label where we worked on the hierarchy. I think now most pharmacy labels have changed their hierarchy, which I'm really happy about. And I think yeah. a lot of that had to do with those early pushes that we did with Target. But so we put the very important information at the top and then the secondary information at the bottom. I changed the, you know, the design of the bottle and I made these little prototypes. I, you know, I'm not an industrial designer by training. So I remember going to the basement at the school of visual arts where we had this little workshop and I would take plexi tubing and dollhouse materials and rig these like bottles together. And, and they really looked like these beautiful bottles. They were D-shaped. And I had a little grooves in the back where you could pull in and out additional information, like side effects, what to do if you miss a dose. And so at the end of my master's thesis, I presented to the team and then I brought them to the Food and Drug Administration. There were like maybe six or eight. Wait, bottles. wait, wait. You're, so you're a student and a you, student. Have this, you have this project and you bring it to the FDA? Yes. That's I packed them up in this big, like very safe cart. And I drove down to Washington. Uh, my husband was with me and he actually proposed <laughs> to me that weekend. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we put them in a safe in a hotel room. And then the next morning I went, marched into the FDA and I had very high hopes of making them a federal standard. I wanted to make them, I thought they were going to be the next pill bottle. Yeah. And I also filed a provisional patent on them. Got it. So I met with them and they said to me, which was a huge learning for me at the time, these are beautiful and a huge improvement, but we are, we really don't know how to to do it because each state has their own board of pharmacy. We don't govern it at the federal level. So I then realized that's sort of the fastest way, way, excuse me. I then realized the fastest way into the market was through a national pharmacy. Mm. And that's when I contacted Target Corporation. And I chose them first because, you know, they are so committed to excellent design. Yeah. It's the core essence of their brand. And they're also um, committed to their guests. I love Target. Yeah. (laughs) And they're committed to their guests. They really go that extra distance. So I contacted Target Corporation. There is a creative director that was working there at the time named Minda Gralnick. And she had just um, started working in the pharmacy department and was looking for innovation. I mean, all the stars really aligned. So Milton Glazer and a woman named Ann Willoughby, who ha- who happened to be in charge of putting together a business conference for design and business that year through AIGA, she, you know, everything just sort of made sense. She knew Minda, so she put me in touch with her and I sent an email to them telling them the idea, sent them, you know, I still have the email framed with like so a beautiful cool. picture. I was a student, you know, I was, just, but I was working for Milton. So uh, I was able to CC him on the email, which I think helped with the credibility also and the story. Totally. So they got back to me and it just so happened they were coming into New York to meet about this conference and they brought their head of business development and they, we all sat down at the table and looked at the project. And then they invited us out to target Milton and I, and I remember that was like the first time Milton had gotten on a plane in three years. So I could tell that there was just a lot of excitement around it. And it was such a thrill to be able to present wow. it to, to the target team. And three months later, we were, you know, going forward with it. And nine months later, three we were in months? the market. What? How did it happen yeah. that fast? That's crazy. It was sort of unprecedented. They have they had this m- mantra called "Speed is life," and they put together a, you know a tiger team, and we went for it. We had the pharmacy team, we had a clinical team, legal operations. It was a huge undertaking. It took a village to do it, but we did it in nine months. And we were able to start pilot testing it in Florida within the year. And it was amazing to see that first prescription get filled. And I was able to be there to watch it. And just that's something that started as a school project became so much bigger than me and something that other people could sort of take ownership of was just a phenomenal experience for me. It's really transformed the industry of the pharmacy industry, I I would say, because pill bottles don't look like that amber bottle that was when designed in the 1960s. Is that right? Or something like that? Yeah, it was designed in the 60s. Well, the pill bottles, unfortunately, are still, some of them are still the same. And I'd love to be able to change the shape for more pharmacies, but that's proven to be a bigger challenge than changing the label design for several reasons. They're starting to move in the direction and the bottles are getting a little more improved and the caps are getting easier to open. The labels are really improving. Yeah. And the response to your redesigned pill bottle was extraordinary. It was picked up yeah. in major outlets. I mean, it really had a global 
response, it was almost like the world was ready for this. And they're like, oh, wow. When I saw it, I was like, why did it take so long? Why didn't anyone do this before? Yeah. I think, you know, we gave the world a push and it went for it. You know, the world shifted and it was before, it was really before social media. So it was like amazing how much buzz was around it. And I still get asked to speak about it. People are still wanting to hear the story and it showed that design can really make a difference in people's lives. And yeah. It must be so inspiring to you for younger designers. I work with a lot of students and I see their uh, theses for their senior project or for the master's project. And to think that this went from something that you had thought of when you were a grad student to being in every, to being in a national pharmacy chain is pretty incredible. Yeah. It's amazing that it happened as a student project and it could happen to any student. It's just putting your mind to it, being relentless, not hearing no, and having a really solid idea that you believe strongly in and that you can partner with others to help bring to, to life. It was very successful. It raised awareness in, in the medical community, in the design community, and in the wider culture. P- people are really paying attention to the power of design. And I think it helped medical professionals realize the power of design. And not just, you know, procurement and supply chain Mm -hmm. and manufacturing of the bottles. I want to talk about more of your design work in healthcare. What's so exciting to me is that what excites me excites you. Uh, Urine, wounds, infections, (laughs) errors in medicine. And I'm thinking... Ah, not too, that doesn't really excite a That's lot of so people, funny. but I look at some <laughs> of your products. I'm like, whoa, you're designing in these spaces that nobody cares about. While I think my team and I realized after, you know, working with ClearRx that patients have a much, patients and caregivers have a much larger challenge than the one that we had actually solved for. For starters, I think ClearRx worked really well for patients have to take one medicine, but patients aren't taking one medicine. They're managing huge regimens and the system doesn't really make that easy to do. So for a few years, I had been collaborating with a patient safety researcher, Dr. Michael Wolf at Northwestern and sort of fusing design with research to make patient-centered evidence-based strategies. And it's a big issue because the outcomes that we all want often depend on the adherence and regimens that doctors prescribe. And like I said before, 50% of us get it wrong. So we started doing a lot of research and found that patients aren't taking it correctly. And those that don't take their medicines correctly are doing it for two reasons. One, they, they don't want to take it correctly or they can't afford it, but Two, they can't remember or understand it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that we could focus our energy on that area. And then when I started looking at research that Michael and his team did, we learned that there are things called universal medication schedules, which is taking it four times a day, AM and PM and bedtime, which Mm -hmm. seems very obvious, but it's actually quite debilitating to patients. If you look at their regimen, how many times a day they take it. Sometimes people take their medicines up to 14 times a day. So we decided to develop a system that has a med 
chart on your label on the label so that you could see when you take your pills. And if you line up all the pills next to each other, it becomes a calendar of sorts. And you can see all the medicines you take in the AM, all the ones you have to take at noon, PM in bed. It's a good example of using design and iconography to act as a quick marker for people who need to take medicines. And it's great for people who have English as a second language or have trouble understanding instructions. So on the actual pill ball, and this was was this the one that was implemented by CVS Pharmacy? Yes. So I brought that system to CVS and now they have it in all of their pharmacies, which actually include Target. <laughs> so cool. So yeah. cool. Yeah. And I'm hoping to make that more of a, a common product across or way to communicate the universal medication system, because I think that's a way to unify and standardize drug information. It's so confusing for patients. Yeah. I see this all the time that uh, almost probably every single day that I, that I work in the emergency room that patients forget a dose, they take a wrong pill, they're, and they get stressed out about like when they need to take their pill. It's a lot on patients. So any design that's going to help them with that daily task of remember to take yeah. life-saving pharmaceuticals is extremely helpful to so many Americans, any, any human, right? Because yeah, I mean, most of us take a prescription a messy table filled yeah. with pills and instructions and, and now inserts and whether it's digital and you're getting your information online or on, on paper, it's very hard to navigate the complexities of all the different scripts and information that goes along with it and side effects. And so why not? There shouldn't be a log and simple. <laughs> Now you own your own design company, design studio. Yep. I have a small studio. We're like three designers, four designers sometimes, but mostly three. And right now we're all working remote because of COVID. And we broke our team into two parts. Half the time we work for clients and work on solving problems for them and innovating. And then the other times we are coming up with our own ideas and trying to bring them to market, like ClearRx and AdlerRx, for example. Whoa, I love that. So you reserve some space for exploration. Yes, yes. And I need that in my work and it helps drive me forward and gives me inspiration also to work with my clients if they feed off each other. And you're still working in the healthcare space. I see on your website, you have a lot of projects in healthcare. And can you talk about some of these healthcare projects that you've undertaken to redesign the experience either for a patient or a clinician? Sure. Hmm. I've recently been interested in how to design more confidence for patients and caregivers. And that's been coming through in a lot of the projects we've been working on right now. One of them is called Belay, which is, which is an app and a program for children and families who have severe food allergies. We really wanted to create a village for families to be able to have a support system for severe food allergies and to try to overcome the stigmas around it. So I worked with this company called Belay, who are great people. They're they have focused their energy on designing an app for caregivers, which is like a web view, and you um, can download the app and then input the information about your child and then share that with you know, your friends. If, let's say they're going on a play date. You want to give it to mm. your friends or your grandparents or the 
coach or the school and it's what they're allergic to, what types of foods they like, what to, you know, just important notes for them, what to do in case of an emergency. That was a great experience and we love the app and it's doing well. And we recently started focusing a lot of attention on educating preschools. So we just partnered with a program called Head Start Mm -hmm. that is in New York City. And we are going to, we've designed a series of posters and educational pieces, which are um, really designed for the staff to teach them what to do, how to handle food types, how to handle table settings, what to do if there is a specific allergen in the classroom. And it's been a great partnership and we we can't wait for them to launch it. We're developing base stations for them so that they can house EpiPens in them. So we're really excited to see where this goes. It's so needed. I think EpiPen yeah. should be like uh, ADs, these automatic uh, external defibrillators that, yes. that are housed in restaurants, any public place, but EpiPens aren't. And EpiPens are life-saving. Like, I think we need, I was thinking about this a lot. Like, how do we make this a normal part of the experience of being in public, of putting EpiPens in common places to give to someone who has a severe anaphylaxis because it's, it's life-saving literally yeah. like the AED. And people should know about it. Like when you go by a restaurant and you see a grade for that, like an A or a B, they should know. And we have EpiPens here yeah. and we're food allergy aware. I think people also just need the full picture of a child's food allergy. So it's just nice to be able to share information with caregivers or whoever's watching that child so that they fully understand so that accidents happen less because accidents do happen. And we've had some horrible stories in the school systems about children eating what they're not supposed to. Oh, well, my wife is an allergist, so she will be very thankful. Yeah. Yeah. I'll totally tell her about it. That's so Yeah. And then, you know, this past year in COVID, we wanted to focus on how to partner with health systems to make their patients feel more confident coming back into hospitals and for elective surgeries. So many patients are afraid still to come back into a healthcare setting. Yeah. Medline Industries is one of our biggest clients and we've been Uh working them for, for years. And it's such a great relationship because we do design work and then they manufacture. And so it's just very quick. We can come up with ideas build prototypes, test them and get it out into the world. So it's nice to have a partner like that. And they have wonderful partners with hospital systems, partnerships. So Providence is an example of that. We designed sort of COVID preparedness pre-surgery kits. So Mm. when you, uh, first there's the pre-surgery stress, right? If you look at common pre-surgery, it's usually sheets and sheets of papers about what to do, what to eat, how to wash the, you know, surgical site area two days before, one day, one day before, et cetera. We decided- it's so, it's so confusing. Yes. Even me, I'm a physician and, you know, one of my relatives had to go to the surgery. I'm reading through this paperwork and like, I don't even understand it. It's not that clear. It's so confusing. And you don't, you combine that with the anxiety of having surgery and you can't even read anything. Everything is just blank because you're nervous. So we decided to design pre-surgery kits that help organize the patient's next steps and 
how to prevent surgical site infections from happening, because that's really the most important thing we're trying to focus on so that they don't go back into the hospital, right? After they go and after the, after their surgery. So we provide them with the, with the chlorhexidine, we provide them with the sponge, we provide them with a shower chart on how to wash the area. We provide them with a checklist of what to bring in and, and what times to focus on. We provide them with education. What is a surgical site infection? How does it happen? What should you be aware of? And then we were working on that. And then we decided to also focus on how to be safe in the hospital. So one side is about how to prepare for your surgery. And the other side of the kit is how to be safe to prevent COVID Mm -hmm. from happening. So that has like a mask and hand sanitizer and things. And the combination of the brand experience and the confidence built in and the feeling of feeling safe, there was a white paper done and it was just very high. All the numbers were in the 90s from the patient's experience. It's so clear. I'm, I'm looking at one of these, these kits and there's three big words on it, ready, set, prep. And there's a picture yeah. of, looks like the, the cleaning solution going on a hand. And that's right. And it's actually beautiful too. So you yeah. don't even have to read anything. You just like look at the package. You go, you know exactly what to do. There's an image there of what the patient has to do. Yeah. And you don't have to read fine print. And it's three big ready, set, words. Prep. ready, set, prep. And we use that a lot. We have ready, set, begin for, for a lot of different things in these uh-huh. sets, because it's that sort of speak to the different things that we're working on. Like, I wish this could be industry standard across yeah. hospitals. It should be this easy for patients instead of getting, you know, tons of paper and it's all in fine print and trying to figure out what to do. And there's no visual elements at all to some of these uh, patient instructions. Yeah. I mean, we even included a timer for how long you should wash the area for. So, <laughs> so you no, would just there's a timer over. in the bag? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. But, you know, for the, for the prevention of COVID and other, you know, illnesses now, it's really about protecting the health of the patient and also the health of the community in the hospital. So it's been, it's been great to see their numbers going up from this. I love the surgical procedure tray redesign. Can you talk about that project? Yeah. Wow. That's a way back. How there's, how there's a different tray for each operation because in the hospital, we have this thing called central supply and it's like this closet or this big room that you go into trying to find the equipment that you need to do a operation or a procedure Mm -hmm. and they're all in the standard blue packaging and what ends up happening a lot it's so frustrating have you been in do you go into the central supply yeah well we have a central supply in the emergency room and so when i'm trying to you know do a procedure like you know i was in the hospital yesterday and then you know we're trying to do procedure we're putting in an arterial line to measure so many times we we take out one of these packages and either my resin does it or a nurse or a medical student and we open it up and we're like, Oh gosh, it's the wrong one. I and, know. and there goes so, a $500 kit. Yeah. And it's so hard to find. And I'm like, I go into these rooms, everything looks the same. Yeah. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Everything's blue. Yeah. And I mean, well, like, that was an easy project I thought because it was just, you would walk into there and everything was blue and it's impossible to know which one to pick. And it's amazing that 
people even got it right half the time. And the people that, and also the people that would go in and pick it weren't the actual physicians sometimes working on it. So, and I actually found that a lot in a lot of the projects that we work for in the hospital, that the people that get the products can very easily pick the wrong one because the design and the signage is not well done. And therefore they bring the wrong one. So it's not really their fault. It's the problem of the design. So we designed a new system that was color coded by surgery type and then procedure type. And you would pick it up and really pretty signs and organized very well. You could almost imagine how easy it's almost easy to do because it was all blue before. Yeah. And then once you pulled out the kit, it was, there was stop and checklists built in and you would be able to have a checklist of all the products that are in there so that you wouldn't waste. We also explored stop and check protocols based on, we were, I was actually inspired by Atul Gawanda and his checklist manifesto because we wanted to make sure that that the doctor would be performing surgery on the right leg, for example. So we were trying to help in that area as well. And also even things like counting the sponges before so that nothing accidentally gets left in the body. We were putting all of those things into that one sheet of paper so that they weren't running all over the place, which, which, which just adds to functionality and really trying to help the nurse and the nursing team do their work. And that takes a lot of time shadowing and we would spend a lot of time watching and learning about what the problems are because discovering the problem is usually the hardest part. You go in thinking it's one thing, but then you come out thinking another things. Another example of that is the wound care work that we redesigned. We would watch and we found that the wound care dressings are horribly designed. Either there's so much information on these little packs that you don't want to read it. Or there's nothing on it that you don't know what it is. And we were given the project to design these boxes of wound cares. And as we were watching the nurses, we found that they wouldn't even see the boxes. They only saw these little inner pouches that someone would run to the storage closet to get. So we found that was going to be our number one vehicle was the the inner pouches. And so we decided to, to redesign each inner pouch to be a two minute course in wound care. And so it made it much easier for them to apply the dressing correctly and know how long it's been on and how long they have to change it, you know, how much time there is between changing. And on the actual packaging itself, there's like an actual picture of what is inside the package. So it's pretty clear of what you're getting. And I thought that was just genius because there's so many times I'm opening up packages. I'm like, this is not it. And I'm just like, throw it away, waste, waste, waste. And like, yeah, why not? put a freaking picture that was of what it is on yeah. it. so you could pick it up so anyone could pick it up so if often like what you're saying it's not the uh, person using the device or product who's getting the package it's usually someone else and it's hard when you're using there's all this complex medical terminology of like here is a hydrocolloid thor- and- yeah thoracotomy <laughs> tray and yeah. Like just put a picture of like, here's an ostomy dressing on it. Then you go, okay, this is what I need. And right. I don't have to open up the package to figure out what's actually inside of the package. Yeah. There Again. was actually a study done on this where I think they took 85 nurses to, and they're asked to apply the old dressing to a wound model and not one nurse applied the dressing correctly. 
I mean, they were batting zero. Yeah. And then we took the new design and gave it to the nurses and there was an 88% increase in compliance. You would think it was a new product or a new packaging that had such good results, but all it was is redesigning it to make it easier for them to understand. Just That's paying amazing. a little more attention to the person who's actually using the product. Amazing. Amazing. Cause I think we don't think about like how something is packaged, what it looks like, but it, as it can have a profound impact. So you as a designer actually go into hospitals and do observations. Is, is that yes, right? We love to why, do that. We, why is that important? Well, because you have to be there to see the people doing the work. You have to be there to see who is touching the products, who's being affected by it, the relationship between the, the staff and the patients and the caregivers. And without finding those gems of little moments, um, those little things that turn out to be such big problems, then I'm scared I might miss the boat on, on what the actual problems are. So, I, you know, I call it going to the Gemba, which is um, a Japanese term and it translates as the real place or the place where the work is done. You have to actually go and see it in order to improve it. And there's no best way. There's always a better way, but the trick is to really be there, to see it, to watch, to ask, to solve the problem. And then the design comes next, right? That's the second part. And I want to get back to something you had said before of actually defining the problem can be the hardest part. And I think that is a creative act as well. And yeah, how many times does it happen when your client says, this is a problem and you go to them after observation, you go, that's not really the problem. Yeah, that happens. That happens a lot of times. And sometimes it's the clients that discover it also. It's very, mm. it becomes very obvious. One example is the caudi work, right? The, the catheter-associated urinary tract infection kits we designed. At first, we thought if we designed, you know, a catheter that had silver in it, right, mm -hmm. which is a known antimicrobial, yep. that would reduce caudi infection. So caudi is like the number one hospital-acquired infection, right? Mm -hmm. And we thought that maybe it's silver would be the saving solution, you know, would be the number one solution here. But and and this is to prevent urinary tract infections associated with putting a catheter in the urethra into the bladder, which a lot of <laughs> patients get. Like, I, yes. we actually did one on one of my patients yesterday. It happens all the time. Yes, it happens all the time. But people get catheterized unnecessarily also mm -hmm. a lot, which causes the urinary tract infection, yep. right? Because there's sterile fields. It, often the catheter goes outside the sterile field and causes the infection. But so we thought silver in the catheter would help prevent the infection. But in fact, we learned that if we could try to figure out ways to decrease catheterization, that we would decrease the incidence. So when we designed the new Caudi kit, we kept that in mind. And I was actually really impressed with Medline because here was a company try, you know, that sells Caudi kits, but yet designing it so that they wouldn't use it. And we designed a stop and check protocol to make sure that the doctor signed off, the nurse signed off, that there was a reason for it. And I think that sometimes caregivers might catheterize unnecessarily because it's just easier. I hate yeah. to say that than to handle other situations. So that was a, a good insight for us. Wow. Yeah. There's this tension of, you know, I need a urine sample because I need to make sure I find out as fast as possible where the source of infection is coming from, but do I necessarily need to put in a catheter in the patient to get it? Right. I think that kind of like resets our mindset 
a bit on when we need, absolutely need to put fully Catherine. And what are the steps we can do if we don't need to? Do you find a lot of designers getting into the healthcare space? I think your studio is a unique one where your products are, they're so cool. I wish they were standardized. And what are some of the obstacles for designers looking to do the type of work that you do in your portfolio? I think that there are, I think there are a lot more startups happening in the healthcare world. And it's really exciting to see in this bridge between technology and healthcare products is fascinating. And even in my work in pharmacy, I'm really interested in partnering with the right tech teams to try and become much more holistic and really be able to have a 360 um, view of the patient and the way that they can communicate with their caregivers and their medication. And so that's an area that I'm really excited about. And I think there are a lot of great designers working in that space, the UX design, the user experience from the technology product software side. I think there are a lot of obstacles just with regulatory, with legal, with finding partnerships where legal will feel comfortable moving past certain things is a big, a big obstacle. Manufacturing pill bottles, for example, is a big obstacle. I had you know, I would love to be able to change the shape of the design. So if anyone out there is listening and ready to do that, come find me. It's very hard to get that done. Healthcare is complex and it, it should be more simple. It's so complex and, and regulated, but I think when good design can break through that complexity, that it can have just a profound impact on millions of people. So I really appreciate the work that you and your colleagues do. Thank you for your amazing work on so many of these projects. So inspired, such a huge fan of your studio and uh, where can listeners uh, learn more about your work? You have a website. Yeah, you can check out adlerdesign.com and you can reach out to us at studio at adlerdesign.com. And we're always looking to connect and to learn about what people are working on and to partner on interesting projects. Super cool. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Deborah Adler. She's amazing. I apologize sincerely for not dropping an episode last week. My producer, Rob Pugliese, and I have full intention of making this conversation a weekly one, but we've been so busy launching vaccine clinics in Philadelphia. And on top of that, my day job of working in the emergency room, running my lab, it's been challenging to find time to have conversations, but we hope to get back on a regular schedule soon. We do plan on dropping an episode at least once every two weeks, but we really want to get to a weekly cadence of the show. In the meantime, reach out to us by Twitter, Insta, or email. My Twitter account is at B-O-N-K-U, Instagram at D-R-B-O-N-K-U. Email is bon at designlabpod.com. Design Lab was produced by Rob Puglisi. Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston and the cover designed by Eden Liu. See you soon. <laughs>